Hey, Lance Durline here along with Dane Brugler. It's Prospects to Pros, and uh, this is the second edition right here on The Athletic. We're very glad that you're joining us. And, uh, and now, Dane, we've got a lot going on. I always say that the NFL draft is always that, that perfect combination of our college football selves and our NFL selves. You know, there's there's a lot to talk about in terms of action getting underway and with college football. Of course, the peop- the Power Five stuff will get a little hotter and heavier um, later in the month of September here. And, of course, with the NFL, I mean, the season is just going to be thrust on us. It's very strange that we aren't watching preseason football games, Dane. We aren't getting to see as many practices. We're not hearing as much about practices, who's doing well, who's not, which rookies are standing out. And so it's a very unusual season for me because I don't know about you, but this is the time of year where I get very excited to, to, to check out the, uh, the rosters of NFL teams. And we'll get to that a little bit later because that's kind of for guys like us who do evaluation. In a way, it almost feels like a progress report of our work and whether or not we got it right or, or we didn't. Now, of course, the players who were drafted all came from uh, college. And speaking of college football, this is obviously a much different year than any year past. We've had a lot of different opt-outs. But one of the big quarterback opt-outs just took place this week, and that is Jamie Newman um, opting out of Georgia. He made the move. Uh, went from Wake Forest to Georgia. I was really looking forward to see how, you know, seeing how he would progress and how he would play against SEC competition. But now I guess we're not going to get a C. Yeah, unfortunately we won't. And, you know, he, he flashed last year at Wake Forest, uh, made the transfer uh, this past offseason as, as a grad transfer. And, you know, he was going to have better talent around him, better competition for us to evaluate him. And there's still a lot he needs to prove. Watching his Wake Forest tape, you see a guy with uh, run strength. Uh, you see a guy that plays with a lot of confidence. Uh, you see a guy who can scramble, uses mobility, has some poise to him in the pocket, makes plays when they present themselves. But uh, there were also a lot of times where he's holding the ball too long. Uh, the accuracy, the ball placement needs work. Um, you know, there's just more things you wanted to see from him. But now that he has opted out, and it's tough because you don't want to necessarily uh, talk about these guys like they're making just a horrible decision because it's when COVID's related uh, to these these decisions, you know, they're trying to do what they think's best for them. But for Jamie Newman, I thought, okay, this is going to be a year where he's going to have a chance to get into the top three rounds and prove that he's a top 100 draft pick where right now, just taking kind of the temperature of his draft stock around the league, I get back fourth, fifth, sixth round projections. So uh, teams are still in that wait and see, still need to prove it to us type of uh, mode with Jamie Newman. And unfortunately, we just won't get to see it this year. And I think, you know, the JT Daniels, the transfer from USC, who still heard, still don't know what what, what uh, his role is going to be. Uh, you know, is he going to be the full-time starter? I mean, probably now that Newman's not that, no longer there. And so... Teams are going to really hit on, are you running from competition here? Uh, you know, what was your motivation not being there? And it's going to put more pressure on the pre-draft process for Jamie Newman. Uh, you know, whatever the senior bowl looks like, if he receives an invite, it's going to be a huge week for him. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be really important. So uh, just really disappointing. We won't have a chance to evaluate uh, him in a just a different setting. Uh, a chance to see if, uh, you know, does he have starter potential at the next level or is he just going to be a, a solid backup? 
you know, he's got good size uh, and he, he is a pretty good athlete. The, the real question with Jamie, I really wanted to see him in a different style of offense. That was my big um, concern after watching him at Wake. I wanted to see him with a chance to get through more progressions. Um, I do agree with you. The ball placement, specifically on the short controlled passing attack, it was a little bit of a concern for me how often he left the ball a little high, a little up um, and forward or a little back behind wide receivers where I want to see that. I call those all-day throws where I want to see the same accuracy all day long because they're your basic fastball down the middle of the plate. When you got a 3-0 count, you need to throw a strike. Well, that's the kind of, you know, those are the kind of throws that I like to see. I like to say that guys have good every, you know, all-day accuracy or get good every throw accuracy where throws that you really need, you know, just a basic hitch outside. It needs to be on the hands with a, a chance for the wide receiver to catch it and run quickly. And I think that's one of the areas where he really struggles or at least struggled to perform consistently, I should say. And I did think that Georgia would give him a little different look in terms of an offense, but we're not going to see that now. So it is what it is. You have to go in like with so many other players now uh, in this year's draft, we're going to have to, to really only have part of the picture available to us through the evaluation process. And so Everything at the Combine, everything at the Senior Bowl, if he's invited, every little step is going to be critical in additional analysis for us as, as tape eaters because, you know, there's only so much that we can see. And it's, and it's a piece that is, um, that's, that's really hasn't grown to full maturity. I'm going to give you an example. I thought about this over the weekend as the, um, after Adrian Peterson's cut. So Antonio Gibson, um, Antonio Gibson from Memphis, headed into the 2019 season. So I'm talking to his agent after the year's over. Um, I'm talking to some scouts. And scouts told me that in Memphis, in their building, now we're talking about a guy who's six foot, he was listed as six two, but he's six foot, 220 some odd pounds. He's a sprint, third in, third, uh, in, in state in the 100 meter sprint. He's played wide receiver. He had a few carries at running back, not a ton, but, you know, 33 for the year. He can return kicks, which he did last year, but he had traits. He had physical traits. He had athletic traits. And scouts, I asked a scout about Antonio Gibson. What was the word on him headed into the season from Memphis coaches? Because he came over from junior college. And he said that the Memphis program didn't even see him as a, a draftable, like as an NFL prospect to even be looking at. Up to that point, after his junior season, which he didn't have a lot of touches for Memphis, they didn't see him as a guy to add to the scouting list in terms of players that you need to be watching. And, and this is a big part of scouting as you go into schools. And, and I'm not blaming Memphis, by the way, because up to that point, they hadn't seen anything. He's just all traits. That's it. And so I'm, I'm certainly not casting blame on Memphis, but I'm doing this to, I'm doing this to point something out. So then last year, he gets 33 carries, and he got 11, which was his highest carry total for I think 170 some odd yards against University of Cincinnati in the next to last game of the year. And that's because his wide receiver coach, um, and and passing game coordinator coach John Simon, who had previously been a running back coach with Kalen Balage, with Ito Smith, with Jalen Richard. This guy had seen what NFL running backs look like, and from the wide receiver position, 
he really uh, let it be known that he thought that that Antonio Gibson needed to be getting more carries, not just any jet sweeps, but needed to get running back carries because he thought that the kid had something, you know, potentially worth looking at, at, at running back. So because of the pressure in part, because of the pressure, the position coach wide receiver, by the way, was saying, look, I know he plays wide receiver right now, but I think we've got something at running back. Why don't we give him some carries? And he got 11 carries in that next to last game against Cincinnati and when I watched him on tape, his agent was telling me, take a look at him at running back. Take a look at him at running back. And I said, Rod, he's only got 33 carries this year. He said, I know, but you got to look at him because I think that's where he's going to be best. Rodney Williams, his agent, made the same point to uh, <clears throat> Jim Nagy at the uh, Senior Bowl. And the Senior Bowl gave him carries at running back as well. And, Dane, you know, the, the rest is history, as we say. You could see his – I, I looked at him as a wide receiver – I wrote him up half as a wide receiver, but then I wrote him up as a projection at running back because of how talented um, I could see his 33 carries were. He had all told he had 17 touchdowns in like um, 74 touches at Memphis. But you know, if he, if this had been a season, if this same thing had happened this year in the midst of the opt outs in the midst of the pandemics, not only would he not have gotten drafted, but there's a decent chance that he might not have even he, – he might have been brought into a camp just because of his traits, but he wouldn't have had enough touches to warrant, you know, uh, any kind of a look. And who knows, maybe this would be the end of Antonio Gibson's career as a football player. But because he had people looking out for his potential as a running back, because Jim Nagy did what he did, because his agent did what he did, because his position coach did what he did – they didn't get us a lot of touches, Dane. They didn't get a lot of running back touches for us to look at. But here he is, poised to be the new starting running back in Washington. It's crazy how that can happen. It is crazy. And, yeah, you look at Gibson's career, he scored once every 5.5 times he touched the ball. And so you knew he was an athlete. You knew, uh, I think he was second in the FBS uh, with seven plays of 50-plus yards uh, last year. So a, a guy six foot. 228 pounds, ran in the four threes. You see that dynamic athleticism yep. that he offers, but because of the lack of touches, it's a pure projection. More receptions in college uh, than carries. And I mean, you set it up how uh, he didn't even get his first double digit carry game until late in the season. And because he originally he, he went to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. And then he was a late call up to the Senior Bowl. And one of those where through the grapevine, uh, you know the right people talking to the, to the right people, and that that's where it really took off. No, it's it, it is fascinating, and it really setting it up and bringing it back to this season it is really going to make things interesting with a lot of guys not being able to play. And it's uh, it'll be interesting when we get to the draft process, and teams are going to say, okay, well, who's this year's Antonio Gibson? Who's the guy with traits? Who you know maybe we didn't get a chance to see all that much. But we're going to take the gamble on him, and it's it's going to make for a wide array of opinions throughout the draft process. For teams try to find that next Antonio Gibson, try to find guys with those traits, and maybe we just didn't see it. Maybe you know this player didn't have his position coach looking out for him, or maybe he didn't get that opportunity at an All Star game. And we've seen that throughout the you know Austin Eckler, guys like that who uh, you know slipped through the cracks of the scouting process, but all they need is a chance and. That's it. We'll get more into the NFL 
uh, the, the rookies and the cuts and things like that uh, in a little bit. Uh, I wanted to bring it back to the the opt-outs real quick. Uh, Tyler Shelvin, defensive tackle from LSU, he opted out as well. Uh, big run stuffer, doesn't give you much as a pass uh, pass rusher. I don't know. I mean, he's maybe a top 60 guy if he keeps his weight in check and teams are convinced that he's got that professional attitude. Uh, he's another one of those guys where you would have really liked to see him this year. And then we right. had a couple guys on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, his teammate, Jamar Chase, and then yesterday, Oregon's Penny Sewell, uh, they officially made their announcement. They are opting out. And for those two guys, you know, you, you could argue it, it, it makes sense. And, you know, a guy like Jamar Chase... He wasn't going to best his production from last year, uh, you know, with a new supporting cast around him, new quarterback, new play caller. Um, you know, it's uh, you, you could argue that it's not going to hurt him at all by opting out. And same thing with Penny Sewell, even though I think Sewell, I think he's being propped up maybe. Uh, I'll be eager to get your opinion on this. Uh, but I've talked to some who are uh, just not not seeing it with Sewell as much as others. Some people uh, think he's a generational talent. Others are saying, whoa, whoa, you know, put the gold jacket away. He's, he's a really good player, but, you know, I still need to see some things from him. Um, you know, from what you've seen from Penny Sewell, do you think he's uh, a guy that would have really benefited from another season this year, or do you think he's ready to step into the NFL and, and anchor down one of the tackle spots? Well, I think yes and yes. I mean, um, I actually find them to be mutually exclusive, but I think every player can benefit from an, ad- an additional year. Uh, there's just no way around it. The ability to, to develop, and we talked about it on last week's podcast, but the NFL is not really a developmental league. And now with the amount of changes that have been made in terms of um, coaches with their ability to get hands-on players and really work with them. I know my dad is one of the things as an offensive line coach with the Arizona Cardinals that he really, you know, fretted about was as they continued to move forward with, with every passing CBA, it became harder and harder to really teach and to really teach in the off season because they didn't have as, as, as much of an opportunity. And so I do think that Sewell could definitely benefit from more time with that said, I agree with everything you said. I, I, I think that his tape is going to be more than enough to get him picked and get him picked high in this draft. Um, I watched him quite a bit. Oregon was one of our finalists for the Joe Moore Awards, and I'm on the selection committee, and that's the best offensive line in college football. And, um, you know, it came down between Oregon and LSU. And I got to tell you, I think Sewell, for what he did as a redshirt freshman, was really, really impressive. He's a tremendous athlete. He has very good feet. He has great size. His movement skills are excellent. He's very powerful, <clears throat> but he's not polished, and that's to be expected at this age. So when we look at Sewell, if we see things that are, that are issues with polish, I think that's going to be worked out. If you see that he doesn't bend well and doesn't, you know, and is unable to generate a certain amount of leverage, doesn't get out of his, his stance very quick, has issues with, with speed rushers, has issues redirecting his weight back inside. Those are things that are more physical concerns for me that would bother me, but I don't really see those with him. I see more polish issues and technique issues that can be worked on. So I don't really have a lot of concerns about Sewell. I have not done a deep dive in terms of what grade I'm going to give him because certainly that's not something I've had to do until now, but now he hits the board and now I've, I've added him to my list. I put him in red and that means opt out who I can start looking at right now with the game tape. Um, 
as far as Jamar Chase, there's really, you know, I almost look at it as there's nowhere to go but down for Chase. I don't see how he can do any better than he did last year. In a great year individually, he made individual plays regardless of Joe Burrow, but of course Joe Burrow set him up for so much success and so much um, uh, production. But I think what Chase gives you that ability to play the football in the air. Um, the one thing that I will say is when he played Cam Dantzler, I didn't like the fact that little skinny Cam Dantzler was really causing him some problems with his press at the line of scrimmage. And then I noticed another cornerback did the same thing. So I would tell you that the one area of concern I can tell you before even getting back into his 2019 tape. So, you know, to grade him, I'll see Joe Burrow all over again, which I'm not hating because I loved watching Joe Burrow's tape. But I, I do already know one of the areas for Chase that I'm going to have as a concern is that I want to see him become more um, efficient at getting off a of press because I think that's something that you and I both know. People take for granted that you're just going to get better there. But there are some wide receivers. I watch Sage Surratt, for example, from Wake Forest. I just got done writing him up. You know, he just doesn't get off the line of scrimmage quickly. He doesn't have that kind of foot quickness. And when that's the case, sometimes you have to scheme around that. If you're um, an NFL play caller in terms of uh, putting guys on the move or put, you know, or, or, or going into bunch sets, things like that. But getting off the line of scrimmage quickly against a press is extremely important. Right, absolutely. And that's something we see uh, from a lot of these rookie receivers who maybe struggle a little bit uh, when they get into the league. A uh, big part of that is getting off press and still maintaining that chemistry and the timing uh, within their routes. And uh, it's with that, that the quarterback's expecting you to be in a certain spot at a certain time. So you can't take that extra step to evade the, the press defender. So absolutely, that's something that uh, you know we, we see every year. Uh, I, I think I, I, I want to ask you a question real quick about your process because I'm mean, mm -hmm. I'm really curious about this. So I will go and look at specifically press. Um, I'll, I'll specifically go look at at press reps. Um, we I have access to the Pro Football Focus Ultimate Tool, which kind of does a lot of great things for film cutups. And so I can go look at press reps specifically, and I'll go try to find a good matchup. Like I'll go find the best matchups for. Jamar Chase, for example. And I look at that as a separate – I wonder how you view that because I want to go see separately. I look at everything in terms of three phases, right? There's phase one, there's phase two, phase three. And I did this with offensive line, and I, and I told it to Aaron Taylor from the uh, Joe Moore Award, and he really loves this, which phase one is how you get out and into your work. Phase two is going to be for offensive line, for example. Phase one also is about gaining – um, leverage about gaining positioning. Phase two is about sustaining. Phase three is finishing. Well, if you think about it, the same thing is true for, for wide receivers. Phase one is going to be how you get away from the line of scrimmage and what kind of vertical push you have. Phase two is going to be the route running, getting in and out of breaks, how, how crisp are your breaks, um, what kind of routes do you run, what kind of leverage do you use in your routes. And then phase three is going to be purely ball skills, ball tracking, ball skills. Well, I'm curious how you evaluate phase one. Like, do you kill guys for that? Or if they don't get off the line of scrimmage very cleanly, or do you think that's something that's coachable? Yeah. And I, I, I think it, I, I love that, uh, the, the phases there. And I'd even add a fourth one about what you do after the catch. We know in today's NFL, what right. you can do after the catch is such a big part of playing the receiver position. 
Uh, I think, yeah, when you look at releases, for me, uh, you, uh, first of all, hopefully you can find tape of them facing press. That 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 becomes a problem when you're sure. evaluating the receiver position, especially in certain conferences where they just don't see a lot of press coverage. And it's it becomes a big projection. So, first of all, hopefully you can find that tape where, where they're seeing it. And I, I think when you break it down, what you want to see is, you, do, they, do you, they give you any wasted motion off the line of scrimmage? Uh, do they have any jab steps, any head bobs? What are they using? Is it uh, do they is there some nuance in their releases, or is it do they rely just on the quickness, the explosiveness? Because um, different receivers will use different different methods to get off press. Uh, some guys are physical; they'll wipe away the defender's hands, and it's very natural for them. It doesn't look forced. They're not. Uh, you know, just taking their momentum out of the route when they get off a of press. So, you know, it's, I think we have to identify how they get, what kind of releases are they doing? Is it more nuanced, uh, more technical? Is it based more on power or is it based more on quickness? So there's different ways that you release off that line of scrimmage, you beat the corner. And so I, I think identifying what they're doing at the line of scrimmage is a big part of that as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. So I, it's just one of those things that I, every once in a while, we're going to throw nuggets at you because I know a lot of you listening are really into the draft and you're you're into evaluating as well. So I want to get into my process and and Dane's process um, because that might help you with what you do or it may give you a different way of looking at things. I know my my three phase approach, and you're right. You just told me you're 100 percent right. There is a fourth phase. Um, for running back. But I really do think with most positions, you can break it in down into a minimum of, uh, and sometimes a maximum of three phases. You have to get to three phases. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to be good at two of them. I think to be an NFL player, um, you can't be bad or below average at two phases and make it for very long in the league. It's just, I kind of, I started that my second year of evaluating with NFL and I realized it really helped me to get to where I needed to go much more quickly. If I said, you know what, I can't get so excited about this guy's initial foot quickness or whatever, because he can't sustain and he can't finish. And for offensive linemen, that's a big, big problem. If you're, because it shows up in run blocking and pass protection. Uh, Let's get to some of the action from this weekend, Dane. So I don't know about you. Nothing really excited me a lot from a scouting standpoint, but I do want to bring up a player that I, I was kind of watching a little bit this week and, this may not surprise you, but it was uh, uh, Josh Ball, the left tackle mm-hmm. from, Marshall. from Marshall. He's about 6'7", 309 in that, in that area, in that neighborhood. He is considered right now by a lot of scouts a draftable prospect. So I, I turned the tape on for my first close look at him. Not the tape on. I just watched the game. I'll get my tape probably in two or three weeks. But um, I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw from him. Marshall just wiped out Eastern Kentucky. So, you know, level of competition is a big deal. He didn't face guys who were going to be super strong. He didn't face off against big players, um, great athletes. But what I did see is I saw good hand usage. I saw him stay inside with his hands. I saw good technique, which is something I wanted to see. And I saw a player who had some pretty good athleticism. So he was one of the players, um, Tim Jones from – from Southern Miss is another one that I was uh, taking a look at in terms of, uh, you know, kind of some off the radar prospects to take a look at in the, in, in the first couple of weeks. I was wondering who, who some guys you took a look at that, that maybe uh, you liked or you didn't like. Well, I'm glad you brought up ball. Cause he's, he's so interesting. Uh, he, a really good athlete for the tackle position, very yep. efficient with his movements. 
Uh, you rarely see him beat around the corner because he's a very nimble player, but he can also uh, protect you against inside moves. Uh, you see some physical hands uh, with his approach, uh, but at the same time, he stays patient. So uh, he's really interesting because when you look at his backstory, four-star guy, he starts as a redshirt freshman at Florida State, uh, started nine games at left tackle, and then that's where things got off the rails. Off-field incident uh, involving a, a female and uh, quote-unquote dating violence, and he was suspended from the program, uh, and there were no formal charges, but he left, goes to the JUCO level, uh, resurfaces at Marshall last year, and he didn't start. He came off the bench, but when he played, you could tell there was a difference in the tackle play. Uh, and so it, it'll be interesting when you factor in the off-field, the character stuff. Um, you know, there's there's some uh, some big questions there that NFL teams are going to have to find answers for just to make sure that he's going to fit culture-wise. Uh, he's a you know, passes a smell test from uh, just a human being standpoint. But on the field, this guy is no no question a draftable talent. It's just now we have to figure out uh, against some better competition how he does uh, in terms of being a you know down out down in down out uh, type of performer. So, but I'm glad you mentioned him because yeah, he is a uh, probably right now a mid round pick type of guy. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. Def- definitely a guy to watch. Uh, you know, there are a few other guys that really st- stood out to me. Uh, UAB. Uh, they yeah, they rolled uh, last Thursday, and they, they play this Thursday against Miami, so that should be a fun matchup. Uh, but they've got uh, on offense, uh, their quarterback, uh, running back, wide receiver, they've got a fun little trio there. Uh, at, at running back, Spencer Brown lost about 10 pounds. He looks a little more fi- or looks a little more quicker than we saw last year, but mm-hmm. still has that same physical attitude. Drops his pads into contact, keeps his legs pumping, uh, but his cuts look a little more crisp, uh, a little stronger off that plant foot. Not a sudden athlete by any means, but uh, and he doesn't have great speed, but he does look a little quicker than last year. Uh, so he's healthy again, lost some pounds, his conditioning's better. So Spencer Brown, to me, he looks like a draftable player. Uh, he, he's a senior running back to keep an eye on. And then Austin Watkins, uh, number six, good size receiver. Uh, you see the yak skills, he'll break tackles, quick hands, he can pluck and immediately become a ball carrier. Uh, and, you know, heard good things about him behind the scenes as, you know, one of the, a guy that pushes himself, a, a great worker, a leader. Uh, the, the toughness is something that stands out. So reminds me a little bit of uh, Trey McBride when he was coming out of William yeah. Mary and played at a, you know, a couple year run there in the NFL, a, a similar type of player uh, with Austin Watkins. So UAB, uh, they, you know, it's, it's crazy what they've done at that program from not ha- canceling the program to bringing them back and, uh, they've, they've got some NFL talent. So we'll get a chance to see them this Thursday uh, against Miami. So this this upcoming weekend should be a little bit better slate of games. Yeah, and you know, it's um, – and Ball, just to get back to him just for one second, this is a great example of schools doing everything they can to keep their athletes safe, um, to do things the right way in terms of the protocols with, with coronavirus and with COVID because Ball, as a player – who got in trouble at Florida State, who was at a JUCO, who didn't even start except for one game against Western Kentucky last year. That's a perfect example of, I think he will play himself into a day two selection is my guess. And that's purely based on watching one game and his technique and his size and his traits and knowing that he's got a four-star pedigree. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being, you know, a top 100 selection. But I think only because 
there will be enough time for scouts to do their due diligence with a new st- with with a staff who has them, as opposed to you know they'll go back and and do whatever work they need to do from Florida State to find out what that was about. They'll go back to the JUCO. They'll do as much work on him as possible. But the tape that he's going to have from this year, because his conference is playing, because his team is playing, is going to give him a much better chance of of you know of um, pushing forward with an NFL dream than if he hadn't been able to play. And so that kind of gets, you know, a little bit of a callback to the Antonio Gibson situation, but that's what we're talking about here is there's going to be some guys from the Pac-12 and from the Big Ten, and and, and we'll see what happens with actually playing, um, you know, playing in, in those conference games and and with the not, with the group of five conferences. Who's the group of five that – there's one conference, right? It's the MAC. That's Mac. right. MAC. MAC and Mount West too. So Mac and Mountain West, I mean, yeah. these are players, and you know, Dane, we find some quality players. We find guys who are draftable uh, players out of both of those co- conferences oh, every single year, every yeah. single year. So, you know, w- if they play in the spring, it w- it's going to really change our process because we're going to have to look at tape much, much later. But listen, a prospect is a prospect. So no matter when we're looking and no man, no matter when we're writing them up and getting our, our scouting reports done, they got to get done because some of these guys can play as well. Yeah, no question. Uh, Miami of Ohio has got a big tackle, Tommy Doyle, uh, 6'7", 317. Uh, he's a draftable player uh, who, you know, unfortunately we just won't have a chance to see this year. Uh, and then you, we could even extend that to the FCS level and guys like North, at North Dakota State. Uh, and Radunes, uh, the, the the tackle there, uh, who we won't get a chance to see. Spencer Brown, the tackle at Northern Iowa. So, uh, no question. I think that's a great point uh, with Josh Ball and Marshall being able to be on the field. You know, if he does end up being a top 100 pick, which I think the the talent says that is certainly possible. Uh, you know, we're going to look back at this season and say, well, it's a good thing he was able to get on the field and show what he could do, or else who knows where he would end up. And you know, obviously. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow last year is the ultimate example, but even some of these, you know, second, third, fourth round picks, uh, it, it makes all the difference. And not only draft position, but also development wise, you know, guys, yeah. you, know, you, you talked about it earlier, how being able to be on the field, uh, you can always get better. And the NFL not being a developmental league, it's a chance to hone your skills so you're a better player and you're better equipped when you're facing 30-year-old grown men in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, no question about that. And so I kind of alluded to it with UAB and Miami this upcoming weekend. We've got a little bit of a a more competitive slate. We've got the first uh, Power 5 teams uh, on the docket coming up here this weekend. Uh, a few of the games I know I'm looking forward to, uh, Clemson at Wake Forest, you, you know, no Sage Surratt, who you mentioned earlier, he opted out, but Carlos Basham, uh, you know, what can he do uh, against that Clemson offensive line? We know Clemson's loaded every year. Uh, Syracuse at North Carolina. Syracuse has got a few uh, NFL-worthy defenders on, on that uh, defense. They're running kind of like a 3-3-5 scheme. So Andre Sisco, who I think is one of the best safeties in this class, that he's going to be playing a rover position. Trill Williams, who's been mostly a corner, he's moving to free safety. And so how will they match up against uh, Sam Howell in that North Carolina uh, offense? They've got a few really good receivers uh, in Brown and 
Um, uh, they've got another one over there. Uh, who, who's the other North Carolina receiver? Uh, but anyways, he's uh, they, they've got a good offense, and so it's uh, it's going to be a good test for Syracuse. Duke at Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, get a chance to see Chris Rumpf versus uh, Eichenberg. I think you're talking uh, about Daz, Daz Newsom, by the Newsom, way. Newsom, that's it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so it's a... It's not going to be maybe the the killer slate that uh, you know we we're hoping for, but still, it's going to get better and better and better. And those are just a few of the the matchups I know I'm looking forward to. Anything on uh, this upcoming weekend's uh, schedule that has caught your eye? Well, you know, I want to mention um, because I want to keep it tight and get to the NFL stuff here in a second. But I'll tell you who's I'm really interested in watching closely, and I didn't watch them closely last year because I didn't need to. I usually keep an eye on you know draftable guys who are going to be in the draft but Chaz Surratt Sage Surratt's brother um, his older brother who went you know he was a highly guarded or highly regarded quarterback coming out he went to North Carolina became um, it just you know it just didn't happen for him there he moved to the defensive side of the ball last year how about this going from quarterback to linebacker and finishing second in the conference as defensive player of the year and becoming a first team all um, ACC defender. I am really interested in keeping an eye on Chaz Surratt and finding out what he's all about. Because when I read that, um, and Sage has some unbelievable basketball stuff in his background as well, but I find it intriguing that a former quarterback became a first team all conference linebacker in his first year after a position switch. Yeah, just a really, really good athlete at you know, 6'2, almost 230 pounds. Uh, he's got a chance to be a top 100 pick, no question. And I think he's he's in that 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 short conversation. Who's the top senior linebacker this year? You know, Jabril Cox, the North Dakota State transfer at LSU. He's there. Ohio State's got a few guys with Baron Browning, Pete Werner, uh, but not being able to see them on the field certainly certainly hurts. So yeah, Chaz Surratt right there in that conversation with the it, it, the transition has was notable last year, and it was fun to talk about. But this is just a really good player. And so with a, a year under his belt, uh, full season, just very interested to see uh, what we see from him uh, coming up here. And so when one other uh, matchup I wanted to say before we get to the NFL stuff, Western Kentucky at Louisville. Western Kentucky's got a pass rusher who uh, you know people need to know about, D'Angelo Malone, who's one of the top seniors at that position. He's got a chance to be a pretty solid day two pick, uh, second, third round. He was Conference USA's. Uh, defensive player of the year last year. Uh, he's a little undersized. You know, he's 230 pounds. Uh, so, you know, more of that conversion guy, the hybrid. But he's a guy that can get after the quarterback. And I, I'm eager to see what he can do uh, against a Louisville offense. And Louisville's a, a, a program that's on the rebound. Uh, we saw it last year with Scott Satterfield taking over. Uh, they, it's, it's interesting to see you in year two uh, how further along they are as a program, as they start to kind of rebuild things there uh, for the Cardinals. Yeah, one thing to keep an eye on with Malone is that, yeah, he is 6'3", but he's also got a verified almost 34-inch arm length, which is a big advantage. If you're going to be a little undersized, you want to be long, and uh, that's something that uh, to keep an eye on there. Switching over to the pros, so Dane, I don't know about for you, but for me, um, and this is totally selfish, I understand for these players, of course, these are their livelihoods, but when it comes to cutdown day, and we used to have, and you remember the old cutdowns, we used to have two or three different cutdown dates. Well, this year it's one cutdown date, and that's basically it, and uh, one big one. And I always use this to take a look and see where I may have hit or where I may have missed in my own personal draft rankings. 
um, that you can find on NFL.com. So I've got receipts. <laughs> Fortunately and unfortunately, there's receipts on everything I say. You have same the same here, thing. Yeah. You have the same thing. And that's one of the things that I really like is that, you know, I don't back away or shy away from a miss because a miss is a chance for me to learn and get better. Um, so I don't mind a miss. I really don't. I, I also don't mind when I hit. And I and I feel like one of my hits, um, one was Tristan Jackson, wide receiver mm. from Syracuse that ended up making a team as an undrafted free agent. Not a lot of – I went through every team's uh, depth chart because I was curious to see how many undrafted free agents made teams because that was that was one of the concerns is that if you're an undrafted free agent with no you know with with no preseason games they can stash you more easily uh, but you're also not going to have as many reps and it's going to be harder for undrafted frees to make the team and that was certainly the case this year there are not a lot of undrafted free agents who made the teams um, who made uh, rather 53s but um, I'm curious if there were any cuts or if there were any keeps that kind of surprised you from this year's uh, rookie class. Uh, you know, there were definitely a few. And I don't I, – I don't, it might be a trend this year with no preseason and obviously things are just different. Uh, teams are more willing to uh, stick with rookies, um, you know, guys that they're just intrigued with that maybe they haven't seen enough of. Um, but one of the guys who was undrafted, who I, I liked quite a bit, uh, I was surprised he did not get drafted, James Robinson uh, at Illinois, coming out of Illinois State, a guy that was a consensus All-American, super productive, had almost 4,500 rushing yards in college, uh, found the end zone quite a bit. Uh, this guy just accelerated quickly and just went at the defense, drives his legs at contact. Uh, I thought he was a pretty good decision maker from the backfield. Uh, there were some some instinctive qualities uh, to what he was doing. Uh, not the not a guy that was going to necessarily jump off the the, the film in terms of his just pure speed and uh, in terms of being a, you know, a loose athlete. But I, I liked him. I, I thought you know that quicker than fast, proven workhorse uh, style uh, was going to work uh, in the NFL. And but it, he went undrafted. So initially, I'm thinking, oh man, I missed something on James Robinson. Uh, but here he is. The Jaguars released their first depth chart. And James Robinson's the their number one running back on their depth chart. So you know, I, I'm excited to see what he can do with that chance. You know, they get rid of uh, you know Leonard Fournette. Uh, you know, they decide not to sign Devontae Freeman at least at the time of uh, this taping. Uh, so you know, it's the Jaguars are obviously in a tie. They they might be attacking the season a little bit differently than maybe some some other teams. But still, it's an opportunity for a guy like James Robinson to get on the field, show what he can do, and maybe even if he doesn't find a long-term home, at least put some tape out there where teams are going to say, well, hey, this this guy's better than our, our number three back or maybe our number two back. You know, we can bring him in and, you know, find a home for him. So a great opportunity for him. Uh, there were The Rams are collecting these rookie running backs. Yeah. Uh, they, they kept Xavier Jones undrafted from SMU, which – uh, you know, he had a, a terrific senior year, really, really came on. It was great to see that. You know, you, you watch that SMU tape to see Prochet and uh, to a lesser extent, maybe, you know, Shane Bouchelle. But Xavier Jones was a guy that really jumped out last year. And then Raymond Calais, uh, who the Bucks uh, drafted late, I think in the seventh round, they, uh, you know, ran out of room for him uh, signing Leonard Fournette. And so they cut him. The Rams, they make room for him uh, in their running back depth chart. So, uh, a few of these running backs uh, eager to see what they can do with the opportunity. 
Yeah, I also want to give a shout out to Marquez Callaway, undrafted free mm. from Tennessee, who has, you know, great physical dimensions. Um, he is with the Saints. I think it's a fantastic spot for him. And then also a guy who was a little bit polarizing with some scouts, and that's JJ Taylor from uh, Arizona. Yep. Actually, may have been more polarizing, you know, in terms of what the draft Knicks thought about him versus what NFL teams thought about him. Um, J.J., very, very small running back, but ran hard, was physical, um, undrafted free agent. But watching him make the team as as a New England Patriot, anytime the Patriots keep you, that's intriguing to me, Absolutely. and especially a running back. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a really good spot for J.J. Taylor to fall. And I, I want to congratulate those guys who were, you know, undrafted frees who made the teams because this year, more than any year, it was going to be extraordinarily difficult. But, of course, rosters are set for now, but these things will be changing, and and we'll see different rookies step up and make appearances. So certainly we will be taking a look at some of those rookie players and who the rookies are who are making the biggest impacts and who are coming up short. And, of course, we will keep you up to date on who you should continue to watch in this college football season to find out who those prospects are who will be headed to the pros. You'll be able to catch it right here on The Athletic with me and with Dave. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, share the love, share the news, and we will see you next week.